Welcome in to another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and your host for the WSN podcast. We are almost into April, which means that spring sports are just about to get into uh, high gear. A number of spring sports have already started, practices and competitions. Indoor track and field is going. Uh, there have been a few softball and baseball games earlier this week. Not many. Most of them postponed, as is, is often the case in late March. Um, but you've also got uh, golf and tennis getting practices underway. Their competitions beginning very soon as well. So spring sports will uh, will be into full gear before we know it. Uh, but today on the WSN podcast, we're going to take another chance to, to look back at basketball, do a little bit of a girls basketball recap with uh, with Norbert Durst, and also talk a little bit about some uh, some some items related to basketball, kind of off the court, uh, including state tournament attendance. I just posted an article about that yesterday. Talk about what it means, what some ideas might be. We'll look at some of the possible changes that are going to be on tap in the offseason. Uh, and we'll bring in our entire WSN staff for that. Norbert Durst, Mark Miller, Colton Wilson. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but as we always like to do, we want to make sure that everybody out there uh, is is safe and to help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. As always, thank you to the Wisconsin Department of Transportation for sponsoring the WSN podcast and also to our friends at B3 Sciences. Gain the athletic advantage of B3 Sciences BFR training. See the results of your strength or performance training, exercise or rehab in less time. Trusted by a growing list of professional teams like the Milwaukee Brewers, Kansas City Chiefs, and U.S. Olympic teams that includes USA Volleyball, USA Weightlifting, Ski Team, uh, Track and Field as well. Contact Dr. Ken Otto, B3 BFR certified coach, and visit drken.b3sciences.com. Well, again, uh, we're going to spend a good part of today talking about uh, some basketball-related items. And, and let's begin by uh, bringing on Norbert Durst to uh, to talk a little bit about the girls' basketball state tournament. Norbert, you were there all three days, all 15 games, as it were. Um you know, just uh, initial reactions, thoughts on on how things went this year. Our second year back to normal at the Rush Center with uh, with a regular schedule, regular everything after uh, a couple years of of some changes. So, you know, what what were your thoughts on how things went this year? You know, I thought everything went great at great this year at the Rush Center. You know, it's unfortunate that that uh, you know looking at those numbers of of attendance weren't great, but I thought the basketball was excellent this year. There was a lot of a lot of high-level teams, high-level players, uh, especially at the Division One and Two level. Um, you know, and and uh, you know, we had you know three teams take home a gold ball for the first time, and you know, obviously, you know, some some big-time teams, and you have Notre Dame three-peating and uh, Kettle Moraine repeating. But uh, you know, just an excellent three days, and it always goes by so quickly. Um, always good to see all the coaches and and fans of the game. But uh, you know, I, on it, I, you know, obviously, we would like to see con- continue to see more fans there. But um, that's something w- we will be talking about a little bit later too. Well, when we chatted with Mark Miller last week, we ran down kind of a, a list of superlatives and want to get your thoughts on on some of those. What was the best game of the state tournament in girls basketball this year? Yeah, that that's a very that's a really tough one. I saw a lot of games this year. Um, you know, the, 
Notre Dame McFarland at the state tournament. That was a really good game. You know, it's that one might might have been the best game. I think I'm just going to point to that one since it's uh, since it was at state. You know, the, the Kewaskum against Milwaukee uh, Academy of Science was great at state. Same thing with Cadbury and Brookfield East. Um, you know, if it was a regular season game, I probably would have pointed to uh, Notre Dame against Hortonville. Um, uh, you know, again, saw a lot of really good games, but Hortonville, you know, played so well in that game, but then you saw the dominance of Notre Dame storming back and winning that game in overtime, um, similar to how they, uh, defeated Wapon last year, um, you know, coming back down big and, and, uh, winning in overtime. So it's just, you know, when you see that those high level basketball games, um, definitely very exciting because we saw a lot of really good ones at the state tournament. And that's not always true. We love seeing competitive games at the state tournament. We talked about this with Mark before the state tournament for boys. We don't root for teams unless my Reedsburg Beavers happen to be there. Um, but, uh, or Richland center, of course, or Weston, but uh, we don't, we don't root for teams. We root for good games, good stories, competitive matchups. We hate seeing blowouts. We love seeing, you know, games that are competitive. We got, a lot of competitive games in uh, in girls basketball this year. Maybe not as much in the smaller divisions, especially in the semifinals. But you know, we we love seeing those competitive games at state. And uh, you mentioned a couple of the ones that that kind of stood out: Notre Dame, uh, McFarland. Um, who would you label label as the most surprising state champion? Either you know, based on who they played or or what the state championship set up like, or even you know, going back to the start of the year. Was there any of the teams that won state championships that you would say would be the most surprising when you were considering the beginning of the year? Uh, considering the start of the season, I would probably I'd ha- probably have to go with Kewaskum. Um, you know, even though that you know I had them, I think it was in the top five, maybe even three. Um, you know, the, the road for them to not just get to state, but win a state title, I thought was very difficult. You know, it's because they, while they had to, they moved sectionals and get, got away from um, Wapon, but then you have to deal with Freedom, who they lost to in the regular season. Um, so I think that one probably, and, you know, the, maybe the part that, you know, they flew a bit under the radar during the regular season because they, because they did uh, lose some early uh, games on the year and, you know, weren't ranked at the end of the season. So, uh, you know, I think that that may have helped them a tad, but uh, uh, definitely um, a, a team that could grind out wins. And I think that's really why they they uh, took home the gold ball, because, you know, it's when it comes down to it, senior led team, um, you know, just wanted to win and, and wasn't always the most flashy of teams. But it's all, always nice to see a good, gritty team beat teams that maybe if you look at them on paper, that uh, it's a kind of surprise there. Kiwaskum was the three seed. They got the uh, the win. Kettle Moraine was the three seed, maybe a little bit controversially. Uh, they won it in, in Division One. Notre Dame was the two seed in Division Two. Laconia was the two seed in Division Four. McDonald Central was the only top seed that won a state championship in Division Five. Thinking individual performances at the state tournament at the Rush Center that you saw courtside, what was the top individual performance that you saw this year? You're talking overall, not just at state. Uh, at, at state, uh, the, the, oh, the at games state. at state. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, at state, well, it's it, body of work. It's Grace Groholsky, what she did in in a, a couple of games there. Just you know, it's on both sides of the ball for her, and you know, she's a player that uh, uh, was committed to and signed with West Virginia before their head coach 
um, left to go to Minnesota. Um, and she's currently open. So maybe there's a chance that Wisconsin could scoop her up here uh, last minute. But, uh, you know, I just think I, I thought does, I thought I saw it. I thought I saw she uh, was it maybe or yesterday or last that? night. She, yeah, I think she did commit to Minnesota, which is I think what most people okay. kind of expected. Yeah, that was not a surprise, and I guess I missed that. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, she's just a player that just does so many good things on both ends of the floor. Uh, the first game, more of a high scoring game. You know, she can do it at all levels, and then on defense, she she played against uh, uh, Brookfield East. Uh, probably best score. Uh, Shea Kelly probably their best player this year, but Annika Fleemer had an outstanding season. She was great at state last year and just, and Grace just shut her down. So I think just the combination of things um, that she can do on the court is what, what sets her apart. Now, you know, it maybe if uh, Tegan Mullaney had a chance to play another game, I thought she was outstanding against Notre Dame and definitely the best player on the floor. You know, Rainey Wilson had a great one game performance for Hortonville. Um, you know, it's Maddie Dogs was excellent for Kewaskum. You know, there, there are just so many, again, so many outstanding players at the state tournament. But, you know, when, when you lead your team to back-to-back state titles, especially given the fact, you know, they did lose some pretty good players last year, I think it's pretty easy to play, point at Grace Kraholski. Well, Norb, as we, uh, as we turn our attention to next year, one of the big storylines that we'll be following is always, you know, defending state champions who's who's got a chance to win it. And, We've got uh, the possibility of history being made with Notre Dame having won three straight state championships. Um, No girls team in WIAA history has won four in a row. Unfortunately, Beaver Dam had that opportunity taken away in the uh, COVID year in 2020. Uh, Notre Dame uh, could have, uh, no, no, did Notre Dame qualify for state in 20 or had they already lost before the state tournament? They had lost before because that was Beaver Dam that they lost to. Okay, okay. Um, so, yeah, Beaver Dam may have pulled that feet off if not for COVID, but Notre Dame does have the chance to be the first girls team to win four in a row in WIA state tournament history. What are their chances? Uh, obviously still a very young group. Are, are they a, a pretty strong favorite in Division Two heading into next year again? I think they are definitely the strong favorite in Division Two. You know, you know they do um, – you know, have, have a lot of teams that are fighting, you know, Pewaukee's a, a really good team. That's only going to get better. Um, you know, obviously McFarland is very strong and they really, they just lose, uh, I believe one of their starters and they got some younger talent on that team too. That's going to pick them up a little bit. Um, but you know, when it comes down to it, uh, Notre Dame, you know, when you win three in a row and you got your, your top players back, you're definitely going to be the favorite. Um, just because of, you know, what they have. And I think the size is probably the difference because when it come, came down to them playing Pewaukee, I think the size and the length that they have caused Pewaukee problems. Whereas when they played McFarland, McFarland's length led by Tegan Mullaney is what really caused Notre Dame problems on both ends of the floor. Any other storylines in particular that are going to be the big storylines dominating either the offseason or Heading into next year, I know it's very early, obviously. We just wrapped up the Girls' State Tournament a couple weeks ago. But any of those storylines that we're going to be following quite a bit next year, in addition to the possibility of Notre Dame going for a four-peat and becoming the first girls' team to do so? You know, I think we can we can also follow the Laconia run. Uh, that's a group of uh, uh, 2B juniors that have, you know, the, as freshmen, they, they took home a silver ball. Sophomore year, take home a gold ball. Um, you know, and they're going to have a tough road to still get back to state because the Prairie School who's in their sectional, 
you know, if they, it stays that way, that's going to be another, another battle. And, uh, you know, the Prairie school is only going to get better too, with many of those players also sophomores. So it's, it's going to be exciting there. And, you know, it's uh, just that new cream of crop, you know, who's, who's going to be the next dominant team. And I think next year in division one, it's, it's going to be an exciting year again, because of, you know, just, I think the really good parity right now in division one and, uh, I guess it depends on if anything goes through as far as enrollment changes and such, but uh, um, you know, it just, just, just that open parity that we are getting right now, at least among the, the best of the best in division one. Now the problem I think that is there's just so many of the teams at the bottom that make it difficult in the regular season scheduling, but uh, um, you know, certainly looking forward to next season. Cause there's so many, so many exciting things that could happen next year. We, uh, we, Say goodbye to KK Arnold, the Ms. Basketball Award winner for 2023, Grace Kerholsky, who won a couple state titles at Catamaran, some talented players in that senior class. Who are some of the underclassmen that we're going to be looking at? And, and especially, you know, those high-level kids in, in any that have not committed yet that, you know, are, are elite players that we'll be watching and and maybe wondering if Wisconsin is going to pull any of those kids uh um, you know, after struggling to get some of those top kids from the state. Yeah, well, it's the first one you got to point to is Allie Zabel. Uh, unfortunately, she for Wisconsin, unfortunately, she's committed to UConn. And, you know, that's a tough one to try to fight for to get uh, uh, when you're, you're fighting with UConn. But, you know, Allie Zabel is top of the list. But yeah, that junior class is, is or 2B senior class is very talented. It's, you know, Tegan Mullaney, that's another one. Uh, you know, she's uncommitted. So maybe that's the one as I uh, jumped the gun a little bit talking about Grace Kraholski, uh maybe uh, coming to Wisconsin or staying in Wisconsin. But, uh, you know, there's certainly some good players. Taylor Stremlow from from Verona's there. Uh, Gracie Grash, you know, uh, Kale Peterson. You know, I think there's a, a pretty long list of of uh, outstanding players, top end players in that junior class. So it, it's going to you're going to see a lot of high high-end basketball, and especially when we mix in some of those younger players on those teams. And I think that's the biggest thing for, for like uh, McFarland with, with Tegan Mullaney is she scored like a monster her sophomore year. And I think she realized, and maybe the team realizes, you know, her scoring is important and she can score it a lot, but for her to be a, more of a facilitator too in some of those games and really just taking her game to the next level. So it'd be, it'd be outstanding to see a kid like that stay home. Huge performance at the state tournament. She had 23 points, 10 assists, almost had a triple-double, uh, but finished with nine rebounds. Did have nine turnovers as well, but uh, had a big performance on the big stage at the state tournament. Um, well, Norb, uh, uh, again, always great to catch up and, and talk about girls basketball and, and get that recap of the girls state tournament. We're going to bring on the rest of our staff at WSN to talk some overarching basketball themes um now it will bring on mark miller and colton wilson uh before we do that though let's take another chance uh to remind everybody out there to help save lives on wisconsin roads the life you save might just be yours make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip every time to find out more take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov well uh we'll bring on colton and mark now and join to uh to join norbert and the first thing I want to talk about, guys, is the uh, the article that I had done yesterday where we had gotten some updated uh, attendance figures from the WIAA for girls and boys basketball state tournaments. Last year, both the boys and girls state tournaments were down significantly record lows for attendance last year. 
And, you know, we were, we were surprised at that. I think last year, I think everybody was, we, we thought maybe there would be pent up demand for, uh, you know, state tournament to return to normal and, and everything after two years of, uh, of not having a regular state tournament. Um, but it didn't play out that way. And we were curious to see how things would come back this year, if they would come back, if they would rebound. And, uh, you know, the, the boys a little bit, they were up about 10% from last year, but still well, well below where things have been previously. I, I do have an update on the girls. The initial numbers that I had gotten from the WIAA was that the total attendance for girls basketball state tournament this year was just shy of 28,000, um, which was down 15% or so from last year um, and down 30% from just a couple of years ago. Uh, but I did get an update from the WIAA that that number was the scanned tickets and the paid attendance is going to be higher. They don't have the full session by session paid attendance, but from what they have indicated, the total paid attendance will actually be a little over 32,000, which will put it closer to last year, but still trailing you know, where things had been recently. So maybe a little bit of good news there. And I did verify that the numbers they provided in the past have been paid attendance so that we're comparing apples to apples, but it's not a good trend that we're looking at with attendance at the boys and girls basketball state tournaments. I have posited a number of reasons why that might be the case. Uh, people on, on Twitter, on Facebook have, have posited some different ideas. Norb, I'll start with you looking at the girls tournament specifically um thoughts on on attendance where it's going where it's at and what you know reasons for the decline the last couple of years might be well first off i'm glad those numbers are better than the, those initial numbers i saw um because i i just cannot believe those initial numbers that i saw um so i you know i think it's the problem i think is you know we're people are just watching way more games online. You know, we're streaming so much that people would rather watch games at home. Um, you know, I don't know if you can, you know, what, what they have for like their, their TV ratings during those games, like how good are those compared to years past and things like that. But like, you know, it's, it sometimes depends on, you know, what schools are getting to state, you know, certainly if you get some of those Fox Valley or, you know, green Bay area teams, um, to get there, but even like, you know, Notre Dame doesn't bring a, a huge crowd and it could be their spring break. And, you know, it has been team spring breaks in the past and really has knocked down the number of number of fans attending. But, you know, that's really a difficult one because I think we're just in an, an age where everybody's watching games online now and not wanting to, to pay the extra fees for concessions or pay like a hotel fee to stay up, up there and watch games. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe just the part of, not not every kid from from the a given area stays and plays at, at that school. You know, maybe that affects it too. But um, it it would certainly be nice to see that attendance uh, climb back up because you know, again, we have outstanding players on the girls' side and the boys' side that you know we should be out there supporting them, whether it's high school kids or or uh, you know adult fans. Colton, as a, a coach at Richland Center, you obviously are at a gym all the time, as well as Mark and Norb watching games. Did you see attendance dip this year and even last year for just regular season games or even regional games compared to where things were at, you know, 2018, 19, pre-pandemic? I think so, yeah. 
especially in the student section population. I don't know if it was just Richland Center or whatnot, but it feels like kids anymore have, you know, different stimulus that they can go to and team spirit, school spirit isn't quite as high as it was, you know, pre-pandemic even and 10, 15 years ago. The, then you add in, you know, those streaming factors. And I know many times guys that are adults that would have come to games in years past, it's it's easier to stay at home with the kids, watch the game on the TV than, you know, bring their young kids to the game and have to deal with that. Mark, you've been attending the boys basketball state tournament every year since when? Oh gosh, I, it goes way back. Uh, well, every year for sure since 2000, but uh, you know, before that, you know, on and off. So going back to 1981. So what uh boys basketball state tournament for the WIAA would have been at the field house at that time, I believe, yes. still, right? Yes. Um, yes, I was a senior. Which uh, would have been at the uh, I was just going to say, I sat in the upper deck uh, that year, and, uh, you know, it was pretty pretty darn full, if not completely full. There probably were a few seats left, but, um, you know, back in the field house days, um, tickets were tough to get. They just were. Um, but, you know, the world's changed a lot since then, uh, and I think you guys touched on a lot of the reasons already, you know, particularly when you can stay home and watch it, and then also you know, watch the NCAA tournament games. Um, I think that's a bigger thing than, than, um, than, than some people might think. Uh, and I don't really know how to get around that uh, unless you move the tournament up a week or moved it back a week or whatever. Uh, you're still going to run into it a little bit. So, yeah. So what do we do? <laughs> Um, there's a lot of, you know, thoughts on, on why this is occurring. And I think all of them have validity and all of them could, could be part of the puzzle. I, I don't think there's any one thing that, you know, is easy to peg as the biggest thing, but you guys have hit on a number of them streaming, uh, in the comfort of being able to stream and getting more used to that for all games, not just the state tournament, but all games and, and the impact that's having on attendance all season, the, uh, you know, Sometimes it's difficult to get to the games, not just not necessarily because, you know, the tickets aren't available, but because if you want to stay in a hotel, hotel prices have gone up significantly. Ticket prices have not changed a lot. They're still, the, as I've said before, the best value in sports when you're looking at six dollars per game to attend a state tournament. Um, but concessions, hotel parking, you know, the the pole center parking is not great. And there's a lot of people, especially coming from outside the area, that maybe don't feel comfortable, you know, navigating down in that area and finding parking and the congestion and and everything else. Uh, the, the the rush center in Green Bay certainly is an easier access uh, opportunity for that, and a little bit easier to get in and out as well. Um, maybe it is some of the the private school issues of attendance being smaller for private schools or people getting worn down by private schools winning. I, I'm not as big on that part of it as, as others per se. It could be, you know, I, I think a, maybe an underrated factor is that there's just so much more opportunities to see teams and players now than there ever used to be. 
um, it used to be the state tournament was where you had to go to see the best players and the best teams, unless you were going to drive three hours or four hours across the state. Now you can watch a stream all year. Now you can see kids in AAU or club ball. Now you can go to Mark Miller's basketball shootout and see great teams in, in one setting. You can see all these teams and players much easier than you ever used to, to be able to. So kind of that, that charm and that, uh, pull of the state tournament is maybe not quite as much. Um, there's more youth tournaments that are being played on the weekends of uh, state tournaments and even sectionals and regionals. There's, you know, other, other factors, spring breaks, the NCAA tournament last year, the Badgers played in Milwaukee, um, you know, just a, a number of different items that you can point to. So again, what do we do? Uh, what do we do to increase attendance? Um, I have posited, uh, last year, uh, that ended up being adopted or, or supported by the coaches association and then not, not, uh, approved by the board of, or by the advisory council. The easiest and fastest thing, in my opinion, is to add a Thursday morning session right now. It's open. It's been open since they went to five divisions. You can't add four teams. So you can't go to eight division one schools within the schedule, but you could go to six. And so my proposal was to add two division one teams. You would have the top two seeds get a buy. You'd have six sectionals instead of four. Um, you might, you know, make some of the small schools a little upset possibly because they, uh, they don't get the same number of, uh, of teams, but if you're looking for the fastest, easiest thing to do to, to make a direct impact on state tournament attendance, I think that's that's one thing you could do. So I'll throw it back to you guys. Um, Mark, other ideas, other thoughts on what we can do to increase state tournament attendance? Or is it just is what it is and we can't do anything about it? No, I think there are things we can do about it. I agree with you that adding two more teams at the Division One level is a good idea. Um, anytime you have the opportunity to bring two more big schools down there to the state tournament, uh, I think that's a positive. Um, I think another thing uh, that needs to be looked at a little bit is the equality of sectionals. Um, you know, uh, just thinking like it, it, if we had Wisconsin Lutheran and Pewaukee in Division Two at the state tournament this past year, I think the excitement for the tournament would have been higher. Um, nothing against teams that made it, of course. Um, but, uh, if there's a way to, to go about making, um, our four sectionals and all, and all the divisions, um, and potentially six in division one, if we go that route, a, a little more balanced, uh, keeping in mind the travel, uh, that, that is going to be, uh, involved in some of those, uh, obviously you're not going to put Kenosha and Superior in the same sectional, but I do think that there's some things that WI could do. Uh, so that we could try to at least give a path so that two stellar teams like Pewaukee and Wisconsin Lutheran could get to the state tournament. So I think sectional equality, adding two teams in Division One, you know, this is kind of outside the box a little bit, but, you know, uh, some other tournaments, state tournaments move around a little bit um, if you look at other states. So, you know, maybe moving it to the five serve might create a little juice, um, you know, every going back and forth or something like that. Um, you know, a lot of people maybe haven't been there. Um, the opportunity to be in downtown Milwaukee and, and be in that uh, incredible building, um, I think, would be appealing to some. Uh, of course, Milwaukee's also got 
a, a much much larger metro area to draw from than than Madison because uh, you guys had mentioned hotel stays and things like that. Um, I think another thing that that hurt this year, uh, particularly with the boys, was that we did, you know spring break is always a is always a, a possibility, but we also didn't have many Madison area teams there this year, and that that's always a, a drawback because uh, obviously those schools are gonna are gonna draw very well. So. Um, you know, a little of it just kind of goes with uh, the ebb and flow of things in a given year. But I, I do think there are a few things that we just talked about that maybe could be put in place to help uh, ensure that, you know, we're going to we're going to have a great state tournament every year. You mentioned maybe doing something to balance out sectionals to get. Quote, unquote, better teams or better matchups at the state tournament. What would your recommendation or thought be on how to do that? Because there's different ways you could you could do that. I I think. Um, right. Yeah. Whether you know, it's you know you 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 draw the yeah, I'll, I'll let you go ahead. But how how would you actually do that? Well, that's a great question. I, I better minds than myself would have to figure it out. I know there's some coaches that are talking about it and are going to actually try to you know put something together on paper that that would make sense. Um, it's a big puzzle to fit to to put together um, because you know when would you release it? How do you know for sure what teams are going to be good? Um, you know, there there's a lot of things that go into that. Obviously, travel is a huge concern. So um, you know, I guess just a couple ideas right off the top of my head. Uh, you know, maybe the first and second place teams from from the same conference, um, if if feasible, could be put in different sectionals. Um, for example, uh, you know, like I keep going back to Wisco Pewaukee, but if you had Pewaukee in the sectional that they won and Wisco finished second, maybe they go south or maybe they go, um, west. Um, and you could do that with, with other conferences as well. Uh, of course you're going to have, you know, it comes a point where, um, you know, you're going to face good teams regardless. Um. But, you know, for example, in the Division One field right now, I think the Fox Valley Association is split over a couple sectionals. Um, and I think I think that's a good thing because um, you, you, you really two things. You don't want the postseason just to be a conference tournament. And number two, you sometimes you do have two unbelievable teams or even three in a conference like like Wisco uh, in Pewaukee. Or if you look down at D3, you know, you had all the teams from that Metro classic, uh, in, in the same sectional and, and, uh, in D four, you had the swall teams, you know, for the most part, other than Southwestern being in D five, you had most of those in the, in the same D four sectional. So if, if possible from a travel perspective, you know, maybe there's something that could be put on paper that would make sense. Um, I know from a planning, uh, issue, you know, the WI needs to know, you know, fairly well in advance to get facilities and, officials and you know just to have it planned out um but uh i i do think that if we sectional equality to me is a bigger issue than than seating or private schools or um you know pretty much any of the other uh issues that we discussed um so if we could get that straightened out or at least um you know it doesn't guarantee anything obviously but if, if we could get something put together that made a lot of sense that made a lot of people uh, you know, happy. I, I think that that would go a long way to to boosting the overall uh, tournament, whether it's at the regional, sectional, or state tournament level. 
some specific ideas I have heard regarding sectionals include if you're going to continue to do sectional assignments before the season, which is done for every sport except for football, and football is only different because not everybody makes the playoffs, so you don't know who's in. But uh, if you're going to do it before the season, then try to try to actively assign teams that you think will be good to different sectionals. Um, that I think that can be a very dicey prospect. Um, how do you do it? Who does it? what is acceptable travel distance to move somebody, you know, there's some, some issues there. There have been suggestions of doing sectional assignments later in the season in January sometime when you have a better idea of who would be good and trying to balance them out. Again, I, I, I ask how you would do that, uh, what you would use. Um, people have suggested maybe you use the seating criteria and, and look at, you know, rank every team in every division using the seeding criteria and, and how that might impact things. Um, I will tell you that I would reject any, any attempts to have, uh, have us be part of that because people are already pissed at us. So uh, we don't need to get people pissed at us even more for, uh, for doing things like that. If they're trying to put together a committee or something like that, I, I wouldn't be, be in a huge proponent of that. Now, one idea that that does interest me a little bit more, and Norb, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, is the idea of reseeding at the sectional level and balancing things at the sectional level. That doesn't eliminate situations where teams are in the same regional grouping, but it could make things a little, little different and, again, more palatable in people's minds if seating was read or excuse me if uh, if seating and matchups and brackets were redone at the sectional level avoiding some of those sectional semifinal sectional final matchups between the number one team in the state and the number three team in the state and, and you know one of them doesn't get to the state tournament thoughts on something like that norb and, and how that might work in girls basketball yeah i think it's something the coaches would be open for i mean because you know, while they would like, you know, maybe more of a a part what like Mark talked about, like like a uh, not releasing sectional placement until you know January or something. At least we could separate teams at that point, and maybe you know just try to make the games better for each level. And I think if you do that at sectional play, like like we you know they did the one year the one COVID year because of. Uh, um, those uh, weird regional placements, I think at least would help something or take some pressure off coaches. You know, I think with, with the seating process, that's um, I think that's the big biggest issue though, that, that coaches are talking about. And for me, I've, I've actually been thinking a little bit that, that I think uh, each conference should, there should be a max amount of conference games. And I, and then you can play, everybody has a chance to, I know this is going a little bit deeper into something else and each team could play, you know, at least 10 non-conference games because not every conference can do that. And, and then that can really kind of change, change some of those seeding processes. But I think if we at least do the, the, the sectional seeding, I think each step is a good step that we can make changes to because right now uh, in a lot of ways, the WI doesn't want to make any changes to things, but you know, some of that random, random placement for, for teams, you know, like uh, you drive past a school that that's in this sectional, but then you're driving this way. Like some of them don't really make sense for, you know, rhyme or reason stuff. So maybe at least sectional changes where you can reseed at sectional level. Maybe we can still get some of those better teams at state 
whereas the current version maybe not getting them there it would it would be interesting obviously um i mean already this year uh, you know there were complaints about travel or you know there was complaints about well why are milwaukee schools going over and playing with madison schools and right. so you get you get travel complaints you get geographic complaints you get seating complaints you get too many teams from the same conference complaints you get everything um, there's one thing I, Travis, about, uh, I was going to say that uh one thing that that I so I don't know what you know coaches have talked about a little bit would would be like is there a way to opt out or opt out of your sectional and you would you would be essentially taking away a home game or home chances, but you would opt out to play in a different sectional. Interesting. So, so you would opt out of a sectional, they would have to reassign you to a different sectional and you would lose right. you, home game in the, in opportunities. The, right. In that process, you would lose a chance to play a home game, but maybe that's a better situation than, than playing a home game in that given sectional. Interesting. I know that kind of runs the gamut of, you know, I'm, this sectional is already here, so then who gets moved type thing. But, you know, I don't know. It's at least something maybe to think about a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting if, if that. Travel, if they want, really want to travel far and the school district allows it, then that's okay for that school. Yeah. That would be interesting um, because in theory you would have you would maybe have to rebalance somebody else. Like you would have to move a different right. team out and how that that's would work. So yeah. Um, interesting. Uh, by the way, any any changes to tournament structures to, you know, any of this, excuse me, stuff that we're talking about, uh, there is a process for that. The There's a basketball, WIAA, Basketball Coaches Advisory Committee, that meets, and uh, this year they will meet April 5th. Uh, there are two, four, six, I think eight representatives on that committee that uh, essentially make proposals that then advance through the committee structure of the WIAA. They're reviewed by uh, the sports advisory. They're reviewed by the advisory council, by the board of control, potentially. So it goes through a process to uh, develop those, those tournament and season regulations, not rules, not gameplay rules, but season and tournament regulations. Uh, and, and we'll see what kind of things they bring forward at that time and, and what kind of things might be important and impactful for them that they want to uh, look at and what kind of things the WIA might suggest that they, uh, that they look at. Excuse me. Um, one of the things that, that I have seen a number of people suggest is different locations for state tournament games. Um, it kind of runs the gamut. And Mark, you mentioned maybe a rotation, maybe trying to get into the Fiserv if it's available, depending on the cost, you know, there's, there's factors that we don't know. Um, but Norb, I'll ask you, you know, 10 years ago, the state tournament had to move out of Madison because the UW would not guarantee availability of the, uh, the Cole center. And, you know, the, the tournament had bounced around between the field house, the Cole center, the Alliant energy center. If, you know, the Badger hockey team was going to be in the, the playoffs or whatever, you know, they were, they would potentially kick the girls out and, they would have to move to the Alliant Energy Center and, and just wasn't a good situation to be bouncing back and forth. And then when the Badger hockey team joined the Big Ten, that added in some uh, some possibility of them hosting Big Ten tournament games, which again, 
all led up to the UW not guaranteeing the Kohl Center availability. So 10 years ago, the state tournament moved to Green Bay, and we saw really good reception. We saw fan attendance uh, increase. We saw the Green Bay area really embrace the girls' basketball state tournament much more than the boys' basketball tournament is in uh, in Madison. They have banners around town. They make it a big deal. They push it through the Visitor and Convention Bureau. And we've always felt, I, I think, that Green Bay is a good site, a good host for the girls' basketball state tournament. Is there another option? If there was another option, do you think it would make an impact on state tournament attendance? Or would it not matter if it was played at the Cole Center, which again is not available, or the Field House, which I don't know if is even an option, or you know another site, or is that not part of the equation? Do you think? You know, I don't. I really don't think that the attendance is going to be much different. Um, I think it would. You know, maybe if those years you have close, you know, the Madison area schools do really well, and you know that's how it would be if it was. I. I personally think you'd be better off in the Fox Valley right now over over having it in Madison. Again, for those reasons, it's like, you know, it's it's hardly hyped up much for the boys, let alone the girls. And, you know, they're going to get moved around so much anyway. I would just rather have changes done to sectional play, personally. I would absolutely love to be able to see more games in sectional play. However they need to do that, I, you know, it's double headers are making sure that, you know, a couple games are staggered within a given area. A fan, you know, good, you know, fans are going to go to watch a couple games if they're able to, you know, because there's been sectional finals that I've been to that, you know, loaded field house. And if there was a sectional, another sectional final, you know, within distance, I'm sure that that's, you know, the same level of talent again are close to it would have again another full house or near full house. And when they're not in, not showcased enough. I think that's the biggest thing with sectional play. And I know boys are in regional play. It causes problems, but I just think there needs to be more opportunity for fans, fans of the game to watch more than just one sectional game, you know, sectional semis. I feel like you should be able to watch two sectional semis too. Um, You know, just doing that, I think is going to be more, more important. And I think would maybe even help, maybe help uh, the play at at uh, the state level, maybe to get a few more fans, maybe the excitement might keep them ramped up for the state tournament then. Let's go back a little bit. And uh, as you mentioned there in the past, there were double headers at some large sectional venues, the Brown County arena, the, uh, um, is it the golf center in, uh, in Oshkosh has hosted those in the past. Um, there was other sites around the state where they would hold multiple sectional games on the same day. And it was a, a you know pretty unique environment. I did not get to attend any of those. I did not go to any of those in the past, but you know, they, they did have some great, great attendance numbers. If you look in the, the, you know, the state attendance figures going back in history, they went away from those about 10 years ago or so um, when the, the economics they decided did not make enough sense to rent out those large facilities when they could do them on campus at the high schools and have them host them and get the revenue. Um, you know, it did result in sometimes where sectional games sell out and uh, you, you don't have as many, uh, you know, opportunities, uh, but it is something to consider and interesting to revisit. And, and I don't know if, 
you know, maybe you have a high school that hosts a doubleheader. Maybe it doesn't have to be Brown County Arena or the Colt Center or the Al McGuire Center or whatever it might be. Uh, maybe it's a high school that hosts two games, you know, give two hours in between to clear out and, and bring everybody back in. Mark, um, I imagine that you have attended some of those doubleheaders in the past uh, at some of those bigger arenas. What are your thoughts on that opportunity, possibility um, to, to kind of bring back that concept? Yeah, I, I was at uh, Wire Center, Golf Sports Center, Brown County Arena uh, for, for, you know, those sectional games. Yeah, I guess they were sectional games. Um, yeah, it was a, a great, great uh, environment, um, particularly at Colf. I remember just, you know, the place being packed. And when that place is full, it's pretty darn impressive because I think it holds over 6,000 people. So, um, you know, the Brown County Arena is not, no longer around, but perhaps they could use the Rush Center or or the, uh, the, the, the facility on the UWGB campus. That, that's very nice. Um, I, I think those, I think, you know, when you took, take a look at the overall um, tournament experience for the fan, um, for the players, coaches, um, parents, I think when they went away from that, it, the tournament lost uh, some of its luster. I, I understand why they did it, you know, from a financial perspective. But uh, when you can go to Golf Sports Center on a Friday night uh, for two sectional games and uh they're going to feature four of the better teams from that area that that was pretty special um so um you know we're not just talking about the state tournament here i think we're talking about overall too you know you want to build more interest back in the sport i think going back to those sites would be great um you know from a financial perspective um you know uh that that's something that would need to be worked out also, you know, from an availability perspective now, it's been a while since the games were held in those facilities. They'd have to make sure that they were available. But uh, I do think that those those venues were fantastic and really uh, enhanced the overall experience that kids and, and everyone associated with the game uh, experienced. So um, I, I think that would be a good move. You know, a lot of the things that we're talking about, are, are, are I think, are, are good moves. I don't think there's anything that's been mentioned that would, you know, really be bad. Um, you know, the whole private school thing that, 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 you know, I know that's a big issue for, uh, for the lower divisions. Uh, I, and I really don't know how to solve that one. Um, you know, they're talking about a success formula, but, you know, we've talked about that in the past and I'm not really sure that that's the answer either. Um, we, you know, they're, they're talking about allowing schools to opt up or to opt down now. I, you know, I, it, it just seems kind of um, uh, that whole, that whole, I think that we're spending so much time on that. And I think the other ideas that we've come up with uh, and that other people have been talking about, coaches have been talking about for a while now um, are, are more pressing to me. Um, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, to, to diminish the, the rural division five and four concerns, I get that. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, needs to be examined but you know Travis and, and Norbert and Colton I know we've talked about this in the past it's it's uh you know for every Wausau Newman that gets to state tournament once in 23 years and wins the state title you know you got a university lake school team that that you know it has no chance or <laughs> a Cooley Christian I mean you know you, you can't paint all the private schools with the same brush 
Um, now there are some that are going to be good year to year, but, um, you know, it's, uh, with open enrollment and, um, and, and things of that nature. Um, I'm not sure it's, it's as big a deal. Maybe it is at the lower level though, because it, it's harder to get open enrolled kids, you know, when, when you're not surrounded by other big communities. Um, so I get that, I get that part of it. Um, but you know, there, there's, there's a lot of issues here on the table and I, I think it would take a, a long time to, to work through all these, but I think the WI would be helping itself, helping the game, helping the state tournament and, and just making it a better overall experience if they really seriously took a look at these, um, either from that uh, basketball advisory uh, committee uh, and then going through the proper stages. It just seems like when things are presented, whether it's a shot clock or whether it's uh, um, six teams in the division one state tournament field, when that basketball committee suggests things like that, it just seems like many of those ideas are shot down rather quickly you know, but by the advisory council or whatever stage it's at, you know, as far as, as the going through the chains of the, of the WIA. And, and I think people are frustrated very much so by all of that. It is interesting, I think, and I wonder how much this impact, this could impact what uh, comes out of, of the process this year. There's a big annual meeting on April, I think it's 26th, Wednesday, April 26th, where they will vote on that uh, competitive equity proposal. Um, and that's taken up a lot of attention. That has taken up a lot of the uh, focus for a lot of people, maybe not as much in the basketball coaching community where, like you said, they're talking about all these other issues, but um, that's a big thing. And I, I think, I wonder if there's some hesitancy on the part of the WIAA to make any significant changes to tournament structure, season structure, et cetera, until they have that competitive equity part figured out because yeah. you don't know how that's going to impact things. And the meeting for the basketball advisory is April 5th. So it's three weeks before the annual meeting. And I wonder again, if, if that will kind of put some of the bigger items on the back burner until after the competitive equity situation gets figured out. And, and we have to wait another year until 24 to, you know, bring those items forward at, at the, through the committee processes. And then they're not implemented for another year. I just wonder if that will, um, you know, if that will be an issue potentially. I mentioned earlier the the proposal that I put together last year that essentially the, the, the basketball coaches advisory committee adopted verbatim, which I was not expecting that would have added two teams to division one at the state tournament, uh, gone to six sectionals and it would have, done a little bit of rebalancing of uh, sectional assignments and divisional assignments and how many teams are in each division. Um, from my understanding, one of the reasons that the advisory council did not support that plan and advance it to the board of control is that they still felt, even with the adjustments, that there would have been an, uh, an imbalance in uh, the number of teams in each division when you could, would consider division one would get more teams uh, in my proposal boys were there would have been around 79 or 80 teams in division one whereas uh there would have been 95 212 in the other divisions um so I, I think that was part of the conversation part of the conversation as well i believe was that basketball is the only sport where there are hard enrollment cutoffs at the top 
where 1,200 and above is Division One, regardless of how many teams that is, and then 600 to 1,200 is Division Two, um, and it's the only sport like that. And I think there's a thought uh, among uh, some of the the people at the WIA and on the the advisory council, maybe even the board of control, that that should be looked at as well, that there should be an even number of teams like there are in other sports, or there should be a signed number of teams instead of looking at enrollment. So there has been some off-season discussion continuing on this idea that I, that I proposed of bringing six teams to state in D1 and rebalancing the divisions, but rebalancing them in a different way where there would be roughly 96 in every division and maybe a few more in division five. I can't remember exactly how it, how it comes out. That has been floated around and talked about, uh, even including at the WBCA executive board. There's been some presentations about that idea. So I do wonder if that concept will be brought back along with uh, the possibility of the six teams at D1. Um, Colton, I'll ask you as a, a coach at a school that potentially could go from Division Three now to Division Two, if, you know, depending on how things are balanced out, you know, what, what does that mean? What, what would that mean? And I don't know the exact breakdown. I don't know if Richland center would, would go up to division two or not. They would be close, I think, but you know, we would be talking about schools of 450 to 500 competing against schools of 900 or so. Is that, is that equitable? Do you feel, I mean, that's essentially, that's one of the reasons five divisions came about. It was because they felt that the small division one teams couldn't compete and the small division two teams couldn't compete as well. So thoughts on, on something like that as a school that could be on that bubble between three and two. I think there's two big jumps when it comes to overall basketball skill set, basketball talent and basketball, just the quality of basketball in the state. And that jump is D five to D four, especially with a lot of the good, better D4 or D5 programs haven't gone up to D4 in the last couple of years. And then I think it's D3 to D2. So putting a small school like Richland Center, possibly playing a team such as, I don't, I don't know where Wanakee would fall in there, but I know in the well, past. Wanakee would have, be bigger, but it would be like, it could be maybe Reedsburg, Baraboo, maybe Wisconsin Lutheran, Stoughton. It, it would be, you know, some of those suburban type schools. I think that that's quite a jump when it comes to quality of product. When you're looking at rural, um, smaller town D32 schools, like, I mean, just Richland Center, for example, we're an hour away from everything, you know, and those bigger, those bigger or those smaller D2 schools, if clumping that together, you would see, I would think more, um, of a continuity of teams getting back to the state tournament that and making more consistent runs and not have necessarily the teams that haven't been there in 10 years and the random ones. Um, Norb, when we think about kind of rebalancing divisions, um, any other thoughts that come to mind on, on how that works? I mean, Again, we went through this exercise 10 years ago, and the thought was, you know, we it, the, the small D1s couldn't compete, the small D2s couldn't compete, and now we're going the other direction of 
you know, let's go back to having this, the assigned number of schools in each division. It just, it, it's interesting that that kind of is coming back around and going the other direction, I think. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, this is a, really a tricky one. I, I really, really don't even know where to, where to go on this just because it's, you know, like, like you said, it's kind of going back to what, maybe what it used to be in a way with four divisions about enrollment cuts. Cause it's, I just feel like a lot of times it is maybe some of those smaller D ones, but I think we've also proven that you don't have to in division one. And as long as you're not a tiny D two school, you can compete against division one that, that I don't think is an issue, at least, especially on the girls side, like those high end D two schools uh, that maybe have a high enrollment. They're, they're definitely competing like Pewaukee, Notre Dame, they're competing with division one. Um, a lot of those good schools, they would be fine in division one. Uh, so I, you know, maybe you could back down division one and add, you know, a, a decent amount of schools to it. If you go like to a six, you know, if you get six teams that stayed in division one and, you know, I think you, you do have to add some, but I don't think you have to even them out completely because there are better teams. There are, better, you know, there's better teams and there's a lot more talent in division one than even division two as a whole. So I, I think the argument is to, that you want a better product at state. And that's why you want to add a couple of division one teams. And, you know, every, every division one, like cut line is going to be flawed a little bit, but to me, I, I just think let's just add a couple teams. Like you mentioned, you know, in that morning session and, and, you know, I think just more opportunity is better, even if, even if it isn't exactly the way coaches want, um, you know, playing up like, you know, those division three schools that maybe would go up to division two, that is going to be tricky. Uh, I do think that's going to be a challenge for a lot of those schools, but you know, maybe that's, that's just one of those challenges that, that this new system is going to take on and we're going to see, you know, how good it is in the end. Again, we, we don't know for sure if this will get revisited. I think it will, um, in some capacity and there's different ways to go about it. One proposal that has been floated would have 96 teams in D1, 128 teams in D5, and then 88 teams in D2, 3, and 4. That would set the Division two enrollment range going from 1038, which would be, you know, uh, who would that be? That would be, again, that would be like the Stotons and the, um, you know, some of those suburban-type schools down to like a 522, which is, uh, who would that be? The little shoots and, you know, some of, some of those kinds of schools I think would kind of be in that, uh, in that realm. Um, another option that has, that has been floated would be 96 teams in every division, except for division five, which would have one Oh four. That would put the enrollment range for division two from 1038 to 489, which again brings into, uh, into play quite a bit more of those, uh, those, kind of sub, or, uh, more rural type schools, um, you know, really gets into, uh, you know, an enrollment range that, again, goes kind of antithesis to why this was uh, presented in the first place. You would have, you know, the Altoonas and the, the summer sets of the world um, potentially going against the you know, the Merrill's and the Onalaska's and the Fort Atkinson's all the way up to, you know, Menominee and Slinger. So again, we'll see if those get, uh, get brought back in, in what capacity, but I, I think there's a chance they will. And, and we'll see where those go. Um, I do want to spend just a little bit of time on the competitive equity proposal. Um, 
just a reminder to folks out there, you can find that breakdown on wisports.net in our, uh, if you go to the, the more tab at the top and then WIAA and then multiply or competitive equity, excuse me, uh, there's a whole history of things going back to 2012 when the multiplier got proposed and there's data, there's, you know, past articles and information, all kinds of stuff. But if we just talk about that performance factor and that competitive equity proposal that is being announced or is being voted on rather at the annual meeting, there's kind of two parts to it. One would have a success factor, which is essentially the same thing that was proposed back in 2014 out of an ad hoc committee. This came out of an ad hoc committee as well, where based on your performance at the state tournament, uh, you would earn points. And over a three-year rolling term, if you accumulated enough points, your team would move up a division compared to where you compete previously. Uh, we did an analysis of that at wisports.net because, to my knowledge, no one had done an actual analysis to see how many teams it would impact. And it was interesting. Uh, in football, there was, I think, around 18 um, or, or 13 or 15, something like that. In uh, in basketball, um, you know, not as many as maybe you would think. I think there was like eight in boys or eight in uh, yeah, eight in boys and girls. There was six or eight, so it really didn't impact a ton of teams. Um, and we have not updated it after this season. And then there would also be an appeals process. If you know, if you felt like you had just a really special group and they were done and you weren't going to be good anymore, you could appeal that. The other part of that, and that's something that that I, um, you know, that that I've always kind of liked because there's so many things that go into why teams are successful and why teams have advantages that go well beyond public, private, or even rural, urban. That I think if you start to get too far in the weeds on addressing the why, you can get lost. And so address you know the outcome, and that's what the success factor does. The other part of it would essentially allow every team to self-identify what they what division they think they should be in for every sport and it could be different by sport so you know I'll, richland center could say well we we haven't got out of regionals in boys basketball in 40 years so you know we we're going to ask to be in division 4 in boys basketball but our girls basketball program's been a little better we're okay staying there and you would submit essentially where you want every one of your sports to be. And that would go to a committee of, of uh, a task force of the WIA for them to review. I have thoughts that I'll maybe hold off. I've, I've talked about them before, but Mark, from your perspective, does this plan, which has those two parts, does it address the issues and does it address address the perceived issues that the people that have complained for, for so long have, would it actually fix what people have issues with? Do you think? Well, I think it would probably help in that regard. I don't know if it would totally fix it um, because you, you're going to have teams uh, that are going to pop up like a Newman this year. I mean, uh, you know, if you're paying attention, you probably, saw this coming a, a few years back because of the, the, the young kids that they played at the time, uh, you know, they took their lumps early, uh, got better, obviously. Uh, and by the time they were seniors, won the division five title. Um, but it's a team that also beat division one and division two schools this year. So, um, 
you know, the success formula and the appeals and all the things that go with it, I, I think that they're, uh, you know, they're trying to answer question, uh, concerns and, um, you know, um, part of part of what they're doing now is a little different than what they did, you know, several years back, um, particularly with the opting up and down and appeals and all that. That seems to be something new, um, you know, but what's good for one school may not be good for another, you know, so if you opt if you opt up or down or whatever, you might be affecting the placement of another school that really, um, you know, had no uh, intention to move up or down. Although I suppose there's a way around that too. You could just say, hey, you're not gonna displace any schools if you do that. So um, I think for, for many out there, it would be a step in the right direction. Um, I think you just have to be aware that, you know, um, you know, Wausau Newman was very good this year, but uh, it was their first trip in 23 years. You're always going to get something like that, um, you know. So, you know, whether it's a, a Newman or whether it's on Alaska Luther, which I think had, had been to state two, twice uh, in the history of their school, at least with the WIA. So, um, you know, now next year they're going to be good, but they're not probably going to be quite as good as they were this year. And Newman takes a significant drop. So, you know, you don't, I think painting with that broad brush of saying, hey, you won state this year, you're going up a division next year. That That's kind of, um, I, I don't think that's right, um, you know, but, um, uh, you know, we'll see what the final version looks like, Travis. I, I do agree with you that all the other things might be put on hold until this particular issue is solved. Once we get this issue solved and see what it does to the state tournament, you know, then maybe we can go, and take a look at some of those other things that we discussed. But uh, I think right now, you know, this is the, the item that's up for up for vote, I think you mentioned in April. Um, and it is probably the one that's gonna uh, have the most dramatic impact on the tournament in the very immediate future. Norb, looking at girls basketball, again, we have not updated the points assigned uh, after the 23 season, but if we, we looked back at what we have put together in the past anyway notre dame would certainly be impacted by this aquinas uh could potentially be impacted by it um maybe assumption mineral point uh and in laconia uh to to name a few would this satisfy the people in girls basketball that that have issue with um you know, in, in girls basketball this year, state championships being won at the uh, Division Five level by McDonald Central, uh, Academy of Science getting to the state title game, Notre Dame winning three in a row. Would this would this placate the people that that are calling for change? Do you feel? Well, I think uh, you know any change right now is going to be good for I think the the whole part of the game because there there just hasn't been much changes made lately. So I think. Right now, I think it would appease those people that have problems with maybe, you know, whether it's a, a you know, powerhouse a public school or a, a private school that and has won a state title. Um, as far as the teams moving up and down, like it, what you were talking with a little bit earlier there, like, you know, I, I think the idea of it is a great idea. Like, because there's, a, well, I'll point to Division Three in Sectional 4, the Milwaukee Area Sectional. There's just so many of those teams that, really shouldn't even uh, are not that competitive at all. That would not be, you know, competitive against division four teams. 
So I think the idea of that is a good idea, but the problem is it's it's all the movement that I think it would cause. And, you know, I also think that they would have to make sure they, you know, I'm not saying they wouldn't do their due diligence, but I think they would have to make it a pretty, pretty, uh, um, um, you know, for those teams that move down, I think there'd have to be a lot of information to say, you know, this team hasn't been good. We've proven it not just in the regular season, but in the postseason. And I think that would probably, you know, alleviate some of that pressure um, from, you know, the, the weaker sectionals of, you know, when you just don't really have a chance against some of those teams. Um, and then, you know, when you push some teams up, that's going to open the door for, you know, those teams that were maybe a bit on the bubble that, uh, you know, the next group of teams, you know, that maybe like the Prairie School that had been blocked by, that got blocked by Laconia last year, um, have a chance to get to the state tournament. But, you know, anything is going to make people upset or happy, but I think this, any, any sort of a move right now, I think it's good for the WIA just because people are just wanting something. They, they just don't want the WIA just to sit on their hands and keep doing the whole hum of what we've been doing lately. It's an interesting proposal with a lot of components, right? You've got the success factor part of it. You've got the, what I kind of term as the self-identification part of it. And that's the part, again, that I have the biggest issues with. I, I see two significant problems with how that could work. Number one, I could see it rife for manipulation uh, where schools are blocked in their sectional or, you know, they're, they're okay being competitive. They're, they are competitive enough, but they try to find justification and use the factors that, that are outlined, outlaid and, you know, why not submit a request to move down? You never know. You, so why, why not just do it? And, Especially, I think there could be a lot of those requests, and you could kind of get lost in the shuffle of uh, if you're on that task force. If you get 300 requests across all sports, which I think that is very, very reasonable, and perhaps even more, like that's a lot to go over and a lot of requests that could potentially come in. And again, you could have a few that kind of slip through the cracks that maybe, maybe aren't completely justified, but just because of the number of them and, and how, you know, that process might work. You could see schools give it a shot. And if you don't get moved down, then nothing, no, nothing hurt. Um, so I, I see some issues with that. And the other issue that, that I see, okay, I'm a small division three school and I ask to move down. Okay. And I get that granted. Well, somebody has to move up then they balance out those divisions. It, it would it would impact somebody. So that biggest school in D4 now moves up. And that school might be less competitive than that school that moved down. But they don't have any recourse to appeal, I don't believe. So I, I don't like that part of it either, that you're displacing somebody else that by moving down. And, and maybe you're better than that team that you're displacing. So uh, that's the other issue I have with it. Colton, um, your thoughts, especially on that, that uh, what I deem the self-identification part of this competitive equity proposal. Could run you into a lot of problems that, you know, like you said, uh, when that happens, those coaches, those teams are just looking out for themselves. They're looking out for not necessarily competitive balance, but they could be looking at, you know, what gives us a better chance to make a run? What gives us a better chance to do have success in the playoffs? And like you said, then it affects someone else. Um, I think 
what I don't envy with regards to the WIA and any rules that they have to make is that any rule or bylaw or anything that is put through affects the whole governing body of schools from D1 to D5. And um, with regards to D1 compared to D5, some rules make sense at certain levels in certain enrollments at the D1 level, and they don't make sense at the D5 level, the D4 level. So balancing that, finding the right um, way to go about the competitive balance, however that be, you know, it's going to make someone mad in the end regardless. Well, we know that that's the case. We know that people will be upset no matter what happens. There will be people, if, if this passes as it is, there will be people that will say it's not punitive enough, that they just, I mean, there's people that want to kick the, the private schools out completely. And that's not just fans. That's, I mean, there's coaches and players that have those, those thoughts. Um, there are people that want all private schools moved up two or three divisions. They want a multiplier. They want all private schools in D3 and above. You know, it, it runs the gamut of, of what people think should happen. Um, it's a very emotionally charged topic. If this passes, there's going to be people that complain that it's too harsh. There's going to be people that complain that it, it addresses public schools and they don't like that. They think it should be only private schools that are addressed. And um, so it's, it's a, uh, it's a no win situation. I will say, and, and we've kind of hinted at this and I'll, I'll come right out and say it. I think private schools have become the boogeyman for all the problems that everybody has in high school sports. And I look no further than the issue of state tournament attendance um, that, uh, that we posted about earlier this week. And it devolved very quickly into everything was focused on private schools. And I couldn't believe the Facebook comments that we got. We I ended up shutting off Facebook comments because it was, you know, I understand there could be some, relationship. I, I don't think it's as big as some people do perhaps, but I don't, I don't understand how we're talking about state tournament attendance and all of a sudden everybody is saying, kick the, the private schools out. They all suck. Um, move them up, whatever. I just, everything that happens in high school sports um, gets blamed on private schools and, and they're the bad person and they're the, the ones that are causing all the problems. So Again, we've kind of hinted at that, but it has become that in many ways. Everything comes back to private schools, and, and they're the boogeyman, and, and that's unfortunate. So um, we'll spend about five more hours some other time on all of these topics, uh, but we'll we'll get things wrapped up for today. Um, it, it's just I, I wanted to, to do this because there are so many off-the-court items facing basketball right now and so much off-the-court discussion that I think it, it, we have to spend some time on it as much as we would prefer to just keep the focus on the court, on what is happening. Um, we, we have to dive into it and we'll dive into it more. You know, that annual meeting is coming up in April. That basketball coaches advisory meeting is coming up in April, in June, any of those items that come out of the advisory council or excuse me, the uh, basketball advisory committee will be voted on by the WIAA. So, there's a potential for some really, really significant change to basketball in the next three to four months uh, between the competitive equity situation. Maybe there's other things that get brought forward at the annual meeting. Um, 
conference realignment still is in in the discussion. You know, the the items that will get brought forward and voted on at the uh, board of control in June. Um, shot clock still lingers as a discussion item. Um, there's a lot uh, that that is still out there. So uh, it, it's a busy time for sure, and, and we'll we'll talk about it some more. But I think we'll wrap things up for today. Uh, Norm, Mark, and Colton, uh, big thank you for coming on and, and lending some time um, to, to talk about some of these issues. Uh, you know, the state tournament thing that, that came out yesterday, like there were just so many responses and so many thoughts and ideas. And, and some of them, you know, you, you have to kind of debunk a little bit and just remind people why we're here, why we're where we're at, try to get people to focus on constructive solutions instead of, throwing out things that really aren't possible or feasible. So a good uh, good forum to be able to kind of reorganize that conversation around some uh, some different topics. So Norb, Mark, Colton, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Absolutely. You bet. All right. Well, let's remind everybody out there one more time. Let's help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Well, that will do it for today's WSN podcast. Uh, Joining today were Colton Wilson, Mark Miller, Norbert Durst. I am Travis Wilson. We'll see you at a game.